This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Judy Cho, and I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I am the author of Carnivore Cure, and I work with clients to get to root cause healing. Oftentimes, that means gut healing with a meat based elimination diet. So, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Vivica Menegas. She is a nutritionist, author, and blogger. She has a carnivore book, she has a keto book. Lots of recipes, why these diets are beneficial, and she is the creator of the Healing Foods Method. Vivica believes in healing the whole body for root cause healing. She believes that food can do a lot of the healing. And we talk about different components of how to get better if carbs are important for women's health. And we just talk about individuality in a body. I hope that this interview helps you to find root cause healing. Okay, let's get right into the episode. Hi, Vivica. Thank you so much for joining me again today.、Um, you know, you've been on my channel. I will put、um, our first interview about detoxing and how to support the body in healing、um, in our show notes. So I'll link to that. But for the people that don't know you, if you can explain you know, who you are and what you do.、Um, thank you so much for having me. I love our conversations, they just totally make me happy. Um, so, I am a nutritionist. I specialize, I have a lot of training and a lot of clinical experience. And through the years, I started with a specialization in ketogenic diets.、Um, I really dove deep into the ketogenic diets at the very beginning, right? It was about seven years ago when nobody even knew it existed. And then,、um, because of my own personal issues, I started focusing on thyroid hormones and just hormones in general. So that was like my next specialization. And I did, again, a lot of training and a lot of different courses and seminars、um, because I had to heal my own thyroid. And so that was a big, strong motivator.、Um, since then, I've been just, you know, in clinical practice. I have an online practice long distance with clients all over the world. And I keep specializing in tough cases, I guess.、Um, 
I don't know why, but I have a lot of like really complex cases. And I think because I try to work, instead of working with a lot of people at a very superficial level, I choose to work with very few clients and just go deep and take them through a whole process of healing. So this is kind of an ideal scenario for people who have complicated cases that they were not able to figure out or they bounced from a lot of practitioners and nobody really took the time and the effort to dig and dig and dig and try to find the root causes of their ailments. So that's kind of what I do these days. And I'm also opening up my practice a little bit to a more holistic perspective. So understanding like I've done a lot of studying and a lot of work in the last three years about trauma and, you know, trauma-informed modalities for um, healing at an emotional level, not necessarily physical, but the two things really, like, are completely interwoven. So it was sparked, again, by my own needs for, of my life and, you know, myself, what I needed for my healing. And it, as I started my healing journey at a more an emotional and spiritual level, I'd also started seeing the same issues in my patients and just like bringing it all together to where we are able to look at a more holistic picture of their health that goes beyond just like, you know, the diet and the food and all those good things. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of enjoying digging deep into the, you know, cases and like aspects of healing and health and, you know, where are we right now in 2021 with like our choices and our personal health and like what are the best choices we can make for ourselves to support that? I have the same mindset as you where I work really deeply with some of my clients. And then, you know, I even turn to you where you have more experience than me in that sense. And so I'll say, this is I have these clients that are, you know, more complicated or I haven't had experience and I definitely turn to you and that's where you really shine. And I think that's great. It's really hard to find practitioners that get really deep and can go root cause into a lot more complicated situations. And, you know, you're a great resource for that. And I've always respected you and res- appreciated you for that. Um, and then you talked about trauma, which we can get into, but that's another thing that I've noticed with a lot of my clients is we focus on food, we focus on healing, on macros and all of these things. And then it is, well, they've healed most of it, but then something is lingering. And then we realize, well, there's a lot of trauma in your past. And that's the one area that I feel that a lot of people don't want to do. And so then they do some of the EMDR therapy. Maybe they work with a practitioner like you and they get into root cause of what are some of the traumas in your past that maybe is, uh, you know, releasing a more stronger cortisol response, adrenals are more taxed because of it, whatever the case may be. Um, but they need to do that healing to truly get better. And it's not just about the diet. And um, okay. so I love that the diet and nutrition is a gateway into holistic healing, but it's really a lot of things. Um, so I, I'm so glad you touched on that. You brought up that you have a keto weight loss related keto boot camp, and we can talk about that in a second, but a lot of banter that's been going on um, on social media on the internet is that keto is not ideal long term, um, that it can be detrimental to women, that women maybe need more carbs um, for hormonal health, and that keto is not the way to go. So I just, 
you know, you've been practicing for such a long time and you've worked with so many women with very complicated cases with your own thyroid imbalances. So what's your take on that and uh, recommendations? I think that as usual, you know, it depends on the case, but I also think that it's really, it's a big trap to say statement like keto is great for everybody all the time, you know, or like, oh no, keto is not okay for people in long term. These are umbrellas, like blanket statements that are really not true. Um, what is more true is like really seeing where is the individual person and why would the statement apply or not apply to you? So, for example, I know um, there are people that, like young women, so let's say women from the age, like late teens to like early 20s. This is kind of a delicate time where like a lot of your fertility, the fertility is supposed to kind of explode at that time, you know, you're in your prime reproductive age, like let's say from like 18 to like 25, 26. So if somebody, let's say, and we are talking a healthy person, right? A healthy person with a healthy weight, with healthy hormones, which is going to be hard to find these days. But let's say we have um, a woman that is overweight with estrogen dominance in that age. She's maybe 20 years old and she's like severely overweight with severe estrogen dominance. And that's going to compromise her fertility. So doing strict keto, even for a few years or like five, six, seven years, could be beneficial until she has reversed all those issues. Does she have to do keto forever? Maybe not. Probably not. I believe that things can be, you know, worked to the, again, to the needs. So keto can become a cyclical diet instead of like a straight line diet. But think about the same age woman that is like, underweight and she's suffering from an eating disorder so she's anorexic and keto could actually help with anorexia um, to provide some really strong nutrients and stabilize the blood sugar and also like kind of shift your relationship to food but if that person is already underweight and then she's going to kind of take the tailspin on keto and like think that keto is going to be the thing that keeps her unhealthy skinny and then, you know, go super low carb and do keto in a non-ideal weight and lose their periods because of that. And then not understand that that's what's happening and continue on that track of like being super low carb. That's definitely not the way to go in that case. So, you know, same age, different scenarios, you know, does that apply to this, apply to that? Not necessarily. Yeah, and um, I agree. So- I think it's a lot of times it's very bio-individual and that's kind of the danger of the internet. People, one, will talk based on their own experience and then a lot of people don't work with other people. And so then they just also look into the literature and say, keto didn't work on this study or, you know, these things, or there's facts of, okay, so your brain needs a little bit of glucose, so therefore you need sugar. And then people grab onto these little tidbits of truth and then they extrapolate from that, but then they don't work with anyone in real life. And so you brought up a great example of two different people and why the needs of keto would benefit, but for different reasons and why maybe you don't need to do it long-term if you don't want to, but be smarter with your nutritional decisions. People want just easy answers. And then on the internet, you'll get easy answers, but they're not fully true. And then some people even advocating for it isn't necessarily honest. You've been on 
the public space for a while. What have you seen? There's so many conflicting information online. Who do I trust, yeah. right? And right. I see it all the time too. So what is your, you know, what it, what are your tips for people that see that? You know, should people be keto or should people not be keto, right? Do I need carbs? Do I not need carbs? I think that, you know, and also I've been really frustrated with the online space to the point where I kind of just want to give up. And like, I'm like, I don't even want to practice anymore because of what's going on in this space and this kind of shooting of information all over the place. And everybody is an expert suddenly when, you know, it's just a little crazy. So I would say when you're trying to find out what is best for you, and I always advocated for this, even five years, 10 years ago. Yeah. So first of all, find either a practitioner, even an influencer, find a person who has a similar case to yours. You know, so if you are a young woman who's overweight and has endometriosis, I mean, uh, PCOS, then find somebody who has PCOS and was able to get some consistent good results and overcome that problem and see what they did. And, you know, so don't go to an older man like, you know, Mark Sisson. He's great. He's been paleo for ages. He's older. He looks great. He's healthy. That would be a great role model for certain kind of people. But for a 20-year-old woman with PCOS, probably not, you know, because he's a man and he's old, <laughs> older, sorry. You know, but you need to find a similar physiology to your own and then also do some research on the background of that person. Where did they learn? Where, like, the information that they're divulging, did it come from, like, you know, re- taking one course and then reading on the internet? Because recycling false information on the internet, that's not necessarily good. Yeah. The other thing is research. So for me, research needs to be taken with not just a grain of salt, like a boulder of salt. Because remember, research is funded by who? Usually pharmaceutical companies. So why do you think they're interested? Do you really think that research is so innocently, you know, made for the wellness and the well-being of humanity? I wish. (laughs) It's not always like that. Usually it's very biased, you know. So when we look at research, we really need to look behind the veil and see what are the vested interests in this kind of research? What are we trying to prove? And is there a confirmation bias behind that research? So, you know, honestly, I can go out there right now and find research to prove any crazy point that will be all the way from here to here in the spectrum. I can prove you by research that veganism is perfect and ideal and for the rest of your life, you'll be great. And as well as like that carnivore is that thing. Easy on the research. Like don't believe everything that comes in a research paper necessarily. I mean, look at all the stuff with Ansel Keys and low fat and where that took us 20, 30, 40 years later. You know, we're the sickest and fattest nation in the world pretty much like when it comes to degenerative diseases, thanks to that research. Yeah, I can see I'm pretty opinionated. (laughs) No, no, I'm 100% um, on board with you. In my Carnivore Cure book, I I have a section, I say the power and then in parentheses and danger of studies for the same reasons. I mean, most people, they 
in the nutrition space, science space, you know, people find this little area where they're like, this is the answer and they will do everything to prove it. Um, I, I interviewed with a Korean journalist that has interviewed literally everyone from um, NASA all the way to anti-vaccines to everything. And so he just has met with so many people and so awful. And so he was interviewing me for carnivore, but I asked him, you know, you've interviewed so many people for nutrition, like what are your thoughts? And he had interviewed the person that wrote the China studies. And he said he met the father and son. And I was like, and I was like, so did you believe the study? And he's like, they found that the milk proteins in their lab um, produced cancer. And they then believed it is the proteins. And they then did, you know, observational studies and just pulled all these studies, a metadata study to prove that's what they found in their lab based on a milk protein was true for all animal proteins. And it, it's, it, and I can totally see how that gets that way, right? So you find something and then you're like, oh my gosh, I, I think I've uncovered some new truth and then I'm going to prove it. And that's exactly what Ansel Keys did, right? Then he did the whole studies, not all of it fit. So then he just picked the studies, uh, countries he wanted to share on um, right. saturated fats causing heart disease. But so you see it a lot. And so even when he, um, this journalist who's not carnivore whatsoever, he does think limiting sugar benefits, um, longevity, but it was interesting to hear from him that, uh, I don't know if I really believe in the study because it showed that like the father and son, they found it in the lab. And then they were like, um, bent on proving their theories extrapolated. Um, And it was really interesting to see. So I'm fully on the same page with you. You can argue everything. And that's, where it gets really scary that then what do you have if you don't have the evidence, right? So people can talk about studies, people can argue it on both sides. Um, And then really you're left with these dynamic, charismatic entertainers online, right? That if you can sell something um, and you can just present it better or be more animated or whatever, like you're going to sell better, right? And you're then you're going to sell your theories more, And, um, you know, I've brought up like hypervitaminosis and some people were upset and some of the better sellers were able to disprove me with their selling. And it's just, um, but it's, I mean, that's just, you know, I think you're, you're doing really important, good work because when you you. start having people turning against you, (laughs) that means you're making a difference. You're standing for something that is important because otherwise, you know, like they say, if you didn't matter you wouldn't create enemies like in order to make a difference you're going to have to become controversial at some point which i know that you and i both we could care less about that we just want to help people i know you're very aligned with me like we are very like you know sister souls in that we want to make a difference in helping people but we don't care about sitting out there on a soapbox you know but and definitely don't want to end up in a bunch of confrontation and arguments which is a waste of time and energy, but that just means that you've touched on a nerve. And that means that those are important conversations. So don't let that deter you. Just like don't engage and, you know, stay true to yourself. Because like, I know you and I know your work and I think your work is amazing and you. you have a brilliant mind, you know, so you just like don't listen to that stuff. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. 
Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Yeah, no, um, you know, as a human, it, um, it, it affected That's me for true. a little bit, but in general, it's just, um, I know my heart's in the right place, so I have no issue sharing. Um, and, and I'm sure it still upsets people, but you know what, all I needed was that information to be out there. And so then if you ever have a health issue, now, you know, it can actually be an option rather than a lot of people used to say, for example, with liver, it's like, oh, just eat more liver, but maybe it could be too much. Right. And not everyone's going to get impacted, but that's still information that's important, right? Not everyone needs to eat more to get better. Cause in reality, some people can get sicker if you have um, like poor liver health or something. Well, you you're know, in menopause and you don't like, you know, you're not excreting a bunch of iron every month. So you can get iron toxic. That's true. If you eat liver too much, you know, like in my case, I'm in menopause already. My body itself told me to stop eating liver. I was eating liver in perimenopause. I was craving liver. I was bleeding like crazy. And I was like, liver every day. I needed that. But, you know, it's funny because then in the last couple of years, I'm like, I kind of lost my taste for liver. Of course, I'm not bleeding anymore. So, you know, you can't, again, you know, listen to your body and to your intuition and good information like science days. You're so good at putting out science based information and presented in a really like super clear, super like bite-sized, beautiful way that anybody is very approachable. Well, thank you. Um, you know, talking about menopause, what are your thoughts about carbohydrates in general? So do you think we need it for hormones? What are, you know, what are your thoughts with carbs and, and, um, cycles and thought about it a lot. And like, it, again, my conclusions always come from mostly clinical experience and guinea pigging on myself first and then like, you know, doing like experiments with my clients to make sure that we get to the optimal for them. So I think that if we go back to the basics of human evolution and the kind of body that we are in, what body, what physical thing, shape we inhabit, it's still like there are so many mechanisms that have been evolved through hundreds of thousands of years of hunter gathering, you know, and then there is this short little phase that is like agriculture and then industrial food. So most of our evolution has been in a certain way. And so if we go back to the basics of health, it's like, what is ideal? Like, you know, if you want to put it in a super simplified form, in a nutshell, like humans are opportunistic. We ate whatever is edible pretty much whenever we could, whenever it was available. And we evolved in a good way like that, kind of as scavengers in a way, because like we can actually survive on all kinds of different diets. And we do. Look at the world. You know, there are countries like India where people eat mostly vegetarian. And I mean, are they healthy? That's another question. But um you know, so we can actually survive on a variety of foods. What's optimal? This is like only recently with, especially in countries like the United States, where people are beyond survival. So you don't have to just eat a bowl of rice and a piece of fish every day because that's all you got, you know. So you don't really have time or energy 
or span to think, what would be ideal for me? I'm just trying to survive here, you know? So we are finally going beyond survival. And this is very recent, and it's kind of this limited experience here, maybe in the last 40, 50, 60 years in the United States, that we have the luxury to think, okay, what's ideal? And now all these, like, again, back to the research and the studies and the history. So we're looking back at, like, our history as human beings and homo sapiens in this form, you know, and how did homo sapiens evolve? And, like, when were we healthy? So we used to think that now we're the healthiest, but guess what? Now, like, with proper research and anthropology and, you know, finding more findings, better tools, we see that maybe hunter-gatherers were actually a lot healthier than us. And yes, they died earlier, but they died because, you know, infections and accidents, right. you know. So if you take out infections and accidents, they were really strong, healthy, capable. Their brains were like on fire. And they were really intelligent and really like um, knowledgeable because they knew their environment so well. They were right. super tuned in with nature. We lost all of that. We basically live in a virtual box in front of the screen these days. Yeah. If any of us was dropped in the jungle or in the forest by themselves, like they do in those TV shows, but at least that happened to you, how long would you survive? Right. You know, I mean, so what is ideal for a human body? This is a big question. And I think that for all of us who are in the health space, it's a responsibility to try to answer that question with integrity, you know, and this is what we do, yes, with the research, but also with clinical experience and with taking our clients one at a time and really looking at like where you're at with your body right now and what is it going to take for you to get to the best possible place you can get. So back to carbs and, you know, of course, I'm never giving you a kind of clear boxing answer that people want to hear because there isn't but yes you know and maybe all of you out there want to hear that but I'm just going to stand for my integrity and tell you what is a higher perspective and I encourage you to think for yourself think outside the box and think as an individual of what's going to work for you not for what influencer ABC tell you because it's easy to think that way and you know, but where is that going to take you in the end? To a good place or a bad place? So carbs for me are not the bad guys, you know. There are some bad guys out there that come piggybacking on the carbs themselves. Like, I'm not a fan of agriculture or anything. I think we really kind of set ourselves in a rabbit hole with agriculture. So cultivated grains, yeah, they're easy calories, lots of calories cheap and easy in a way, you know, mm -hmm. um, but do we need that these days? Everybody's overweight. Everybody's trying to lose weight. So maybe we went a little overboard on that stockpiling calories so we don't starve, you know, which is also written in our DNA. Healthy carbs. So for me, I don't believe in grains. I don't believe in GMO. I don't believe in all the pesticide and herbicide crap is sprayed on crops. I think crops like monoculture crops are killing the planet and oh, a bunch yeah. of animals. So thank you, vegans. Um, uh, you know, inform yourself, please, because like this is really like industrial agriculture is as bad as industrial 
animal husbandry, you know, factory farming is just as bad. So what are the healthy carbs? There are healthy carbs. I actually think that, you know, some roots, starches, and, you know, um, fruits as well, when varied, when not going, so carnivore has taught us a lot, right? Has taught us about phytotoxins. Mm-hmm. Has taught us about that not of our, all vegetable and plant foods are innocent and so good, little angels that will heal us. No, <laughs> they got their own stuff. So, you know, there are serious toxins in plant foods. We need to be aware of them. Does that mean that we need to just ban them forever? No, because we evolved with them for hundreds of thousands of years. But how did we evolve with them? So eating a little bit of this and a little bit of that, which made it more medicinal, honestly, than like a staple food, sure. you know, and tuning into your environment and tuning into yourself. So let's say spinach can be good, but if you have a spinach smoothie every day, it's going to be very short time that you're going to be oxalate toxic, <laughs> you know. And the same with kale, for example. Could you have a spinach and kale salad once a month and be okay with that? It actually would be probably good for you, you know, if you can tolerate it. Again, back to the individual. Is your stomach and your digestive system completely ruined by over Monsanto GMO, you know, crops and like glyphosate that destroyed your microbiome? that means you're not going to do well with those kind of kale and spinach palettes for a while until you heal. And then it might be different. For menopause, I think that some extra carbs, not in menopause, but in that transition period. Mm -hmm. So perimenopause, just as you're starting to really switch and you stop menstruating, it can be beneficial. Like I feel that I've gone very experimental with my patients from carnivore to keto to cyclical, including carbs. And I found that those, because of the adrenals taking over for your ovaries in perimenopause, that is a time where your body needs extra support to make things work as easy as possible. Your body is really overworked from an adrenal perspective and like everything else in your life. (laughs) So the carbs could function as kind of an easy support if not overused. Okay. Again, you know, there is good measure. That doesn't mean you're going to eat donuts every day. But you could have a cyclical, even daily cyclical ketogenic diet where you are low carb in the morning to stabilize your blood sugar and support your adrenals with protein in the morning. And then in midday, if you let's say you are eating three meals, which not everybody does, But midday, you can start introducing a little bit of carbs, like light, like maybe a salad, and then still have your protein and keeping, you know, enough fat for your blood sugar to stay stable during the day. And then later during the day, you can add a little bit more carbs, which are going to help you sleep better and maybe have, I don't know, a cauliflower crust pizza or, you know, something fun even that's going to like... Keep your diet varied enough for you to be able to stay on track for long periods of time. So not just completely deprive yourself, but include those things that are like fun foods, but within your scope of diet. So instead of having a gluten pizza, 
you know, with a bunch of mozzarella cheese that is like ultra pasteurized, you can have a cauliflower crust pizza with a little tiny bit of goat cheese and some arugula and fresh tomatoes and maybe some meat on it, you know, and keeping lighter on the fat when you're having this kind of carbs. But here, like, you know, from somebody like me that has been like, I'm keto and then I'm carnivore. And then I'm like, I'm all of it and none. This is where I'm at right now because we've gone through all of that. And I have gone on my body through all of that in order to heal. And do I feel healed now? I definitely feel like I'm in a good place of maintenance when life doesn't get too crazy and my cortisol goes out the window and then guess what? Then you have to go and take a step back and then use your tools like, oh, shoot, I should really be keto for a while now or cyclical keto. And like my carbs have gone out of control a little bit. Oopsie. So I am going to do maybe carnivore modified for a month. Those are just tools. That's my conclusion. You know, I went into the carnivore space because it healed a lot of my mental health, my depression anxiety, eating disorders, and removing the last bit of carbohydrates, even sweeteners, all of that really helped. And then I dug into the science and it just made a lot of sense to me in terms of an elimination diet. But the reality with working with clients is they choose carnivore or a meat-based diet because nothing else works for them, right? Whether it's a food addiction, whether it's mental health, whether it's hey, I've been to the standard American diet doctors and conventional care is just telling me to get on a bunch of meds and I don't feel any better. So it's almost out of a sense of desperation, right? Like no one really wants to just eat meat. Now it's easy to just eat meat once you're there, but no one decides to do carnivore because they really are excited to do it, right? It's it's an elimination diet in essence. And then when I worked with clients, I realized most people don't want to do it long-term, right? So they would ideally want to add back in safer plants, eat it in moderation. And then it becomes like you're saying, and I absolutely agree with you, it really is about metabolic flexibility. So I think you should be able to tolerate kimchi or tolerate fruits or veggies or whatever you say, right? Um, As long as you do it in moderation in a smart way. But if you choose on most days to eat meat-based or keto because you feel your best, that makes sense. But if you're only eating meat because nothing else you can tolerate, well, that's just a Band-Aid, right? And so um, I am on the same page with you there. So it makes sense what you said, even with um, going through perimenopause, um, when you're transitioning, if you need a little bit of a help, even if it's a Band-Aid to add a little bit of carbs to help you sleep so that you can detox and you can heal, that makes sense. But if you eat too many carbs, then you could be adding stress to the adrenals too, that are going to be taking, um, taking on the hormone production from the ovaries. So it is that fine line. And I totally agree with you. Now, if you struggle with food addiction or sugar addiction, or you had metabolic disease, um, disease with diabetes, too many carbs may not be a good idea, right? So this is where it's very, very bio-individual. I totally agree. And then it's always the struggle of how do you share information on the internet that can apply to everyone, but it's not a one size fits all answer, right? So I, I'm on the same page. I think people just ultimately need to figure out where they are. Doesn't make sense, right? Will that one apple, which may be benign in essence, if you get an organic, you know, or you grow it in your backyard, but if that will then make you want to eat apple pie, 
you know, maybe it's not the answer, right? So that's where it really, right. really depends. Um, and, and then if you feel that a meat-based only diet or a keto diet is so limiting and you feel depressed eating the way, that way, well, that's not the answer either then. So then you have to see, well, what foods can you tolerate and still give you good health? And so if I were to really pinpoint the question though, let's say it's not about flexibility, um, desires to eat it, but do you think that, um, you know, from your experience that women need carbs? So in here, the problem is also that going back, like I would educate myself on like kind of ancestral health or what are the physiological foundations of health. And yes, I understand it's really hard right now because everybody touts of being the answer and how can you tell honestly there is no magic wand of like i'm going to point this wand at this person and they're going to turn green or red because like they're full of bs or that actually that stuff really makes sense um i probably wouldn't know i know for myself judy that i always had a really strong intuition Mm. and i think that that intuition is available for everyone I agree with and, that. You know, I see in my patients, like I talked to one of my clients yesterday after, you know, being gone in sabbatical for a month and a half and I came back and I, she did something on her own that I was like, wow, you actually learned, you learn how to trust your own body. And even though you didn't know what was going on, you listened to your body and made changes based on what you felt. Right. And you did exactly what I would have told you to do. So turning on that intuition switch, that's, I think, it's built in. It's a survival mechanism. So we got to have it in there, right? So, and also trying things on for size sometimes, but knowing the basics. So if you're, let's say, a 20-year-old with PCOS, and you know you're insulin resistant, inform yourself like inform yourself like measure your blood sugar if your blood sugar is 165 in the morning then you know that there is an issue there first of all you know so take it from like unravel that thread like starting with basic things like okay i'm going to measure my blood sugar that's a very basic thing and then my blood sugar is all over the place it's up and down and everywhere and it's very high so that means that I have insulin resistance and I'm going to read up on insulin resistance. And then I'm going to understand that if I eat sugar five times a day, it's not going to help. Even if it helped that person, whatever way it helped them, it just counterintuitive. It's not going to help somebody with insulin resistance. So this is common sense and common sense is being thrown out with the baby and the (laughs) bathwater. I totally agree. Let's bring common sense back. <laughs> Let's make common sense great again. <laughs> the, even in the carnivore space that are fans of fruit, and then they ask me, well, they have less toxins because they want you to eat the fruit, so then you possibly eat their seed, and then they carry on. Well, one, our fruits aren't the same as they were long ago. But more than that, it just might be, well, again, it depends, right? If you've been sick with metabolic disease and diabetes, like my mom she's about to turn 70 and she's had diabetes for a very long time, type two. And so her blood sugars, even with metformin would be in like the one sixties, one eighties in the morning. Cause she had no idea how to monitor it. Um, right. and, and so she would still keep in fruit because fruit is good for you. Right. And so she did carnivore keto, lost a ton of weight, um, healed asthma, all of these things. 
but she would keep in fruit occasionally because again, it's good for you. And her blood sugar wouldn't go. It went down a lot. She stopped the Mm -hmm. metformin, but then it would stay around the one forties. And so I said, Mm -hmm. it's time to let go of the fruit at the end of your meal. And she was like, you know, like, how can that be bad for you? And she did. And her blood sugar went down. Yes. And so that's why when I see people say meat and fruits, ancestrally consistent, but yes, but they weren't eating fruit every day and they weren't having fruit multiple times a day, or did they have the amount of sugars or, and, and they didn't have the metabolic disease or the stress that we have now. So again, it becomes like for somebody like my mom, she would do better with vegetables than she would do better with fruits. Right. So that's where it's, it it depends on your situation. And it drives me wild when everyone's like, (laughs) no, all vegetables are so bad. The tubers, the this and that, this and that, but then the fruits are fine. And it's like, no, it depends on your situation, especially if you've had insulin resistant resistance, it's likely not the, the plant food you want to start with. And that's why in carnivore cure, my first reintroduction of plants has no fruit because I had to be mindful of more people than not have insulin resistance, struggles with diabetes or pre-diabetes and not knowing. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is that maybe not everyone needs carbs, but um, maybe for some people it can do okay. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and it's, you know, there are, okay, so there are some things that actually I think it's pretty non-negotiable, okay? So I think that there are a lot of things that are negotiable and for the individual person, um, will vary, but for me, let's talk about the other side of the coin. So, okay. what's non-negotiable? And I touched on it before. So, non-negotiable are chemicals, toxic chemicals that don't belong in your food, like glyphosate. That's non-negotiable. That's not something that will never belong in a human being, healthy yeah. or not. Like you know, we can say carb will be good for you because you have a high metabolic flexibility. And will be not good for you who have insulin resistance. But carbs, you know, the healthy carbs are part of nature and our evolution. What is not part of the way that we evolved is all this artificial stuff that now is present in the environment. And that's what we really need to be aware of because that's across the board for if you are a human being and you have arms, legs, a head, and, you know, a brain. Like, that's just not going to work with you. Right. And if you're not going to be able to get away with it, eventually it's going to get you. So all the processed foods, all the preservatives, all the colorings, on the packaged industrial stuff, you know, all the stuff that's grown non-organically with a bunch of chemicals that came from the war complex. And then from like no. being made from bombs, they're now made into fertilizers. Hello, you know, um, follow the thread. So that's non-negotiable. And even though I understand that we are in the place in the world right now where like eating clean is not possible, not 100%. Right. Sometimes it's crazy not affordable. But why is it not affordable? Because somebody's making money from all that crap. You know, so they're making it affordable because they'll make more money. And unfortunately, it's a whole connected kind of, and you know, situation that's very, very complex. But just know that even if you can make one better choice for yourself and you can eliminate, you know, processed foods or like eat 
more from scratch, cook more at home, try to limit all those like 25 million unreadable ingredients. So that for me is like the foundation. And then everything else will kind of fall into place better. And like whatever remains, once you clean up your diet in that way, whatever disease remains, it will be very clear what you need to do to address it. I think that's great. I mean, that's kind of how I wrote the carnivore cure book. I started with all the toxins and it's like, okay, now you're left with vegetables and meats. And then what do you go do from there? You know, we don't talk about glyphosate enough. Um, but you know, okay. while I was doing that research, it's crazy, but they spray glyphosate at the end of, um, the wheat harvesting be too dry, to dry up the plants faster. So all it does is make the foods dry faster so then they can have more crop and yield more, uh, much faster. And so it's just on there. It's not even in the soil. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, now all these pharmaceutical companies are buying these, you know, GMO seed companies. So it's like they have the poison and then are they going to give us the antidote, right? Like uh, Bayer just bought Monsanto who makes glyphosate. Um, yeah, and Monsanto doesn't even exist anymore because people got onto Monsanto and then I think they dissolved that company and like hid it under other names so that it wouldn't be so visible in the public eye anymore. But Cargill is kind of one of those mega complex that owns all the smaller companies. And that's, you know, I don't know if they're still in operation, but I know that when I was really researching this, they were behind a lot of this. They're, we're talking big, you guys, like big, huge mangas, big, like that you think like, oh my God, I'm totally powerless. How can I ever fight against these mega giants, like almighty powers? Well, you know, power of the people comes in numbers and yeah. your dollars empower you so you choose with your dollars you choose with where you buy if you keep buying products made by those people you give them your money and you make them more powerful the moment you go and buy from like your local farmer even if you only buy 40 percent of your food from your farmer that doesn't go through no middleman it's a big difference that's empowering that's how things will change and you know i've been like literally saying this for the last 10 years until my tongue turns blue and you know now there is a term regenerative agriculture that we used to call permaculture but now we've got more refined and then all these really important people are talking about it and there are people that young people actually are going back to farming yeah so it's really beautiful to see that like we are waking up to this Sad, huge realities and there is a lot of stuff being done you know in practice and how us the larger population can actually support ourselves is supporting what supports our health you know so regenerative farming you know grass-fed beef grazing restoring the environment through you know these like agricultural practices that do include animals and some fruit <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I interviewed a person that kind of manages all the Angus beef um, supply chain from the farmers then, and then get into those conventional practices. And what I realized through that was that if we only support our neighbor farmer, then the bigger farmers that, you know, are in less populated areas that raise 
cattle may not have enough people to buy their cattle and then they can't have a sustainable living. So it becomes really tough because then it's like, if you don't support the market meats, then you may not support the bigger picture of people being, having access to meats and then certain farmers that then would just not do that anymore. And there would be less meat and then meat in general, even in the markets would become more expensive. And then you can't feed more people accessible meat when it's Mm -hmm. actually right food for medicine. I've kind of just landed right now on a a middle ground of, I still support my neighbor farmer because it's really important for the environment, uh, regenerative agriculture. It's just more natural. It's better treatment for the animals, but I also don't have as much guilt um, shopping at the market. Yes. They use certain toxins in the meats that aren't ideal, but I still think, the meat itself, the animals protect us a little bit more than the plants do when getting sprayed with the glyphosate, for example. But Mm -hmm. then I can um, then protect some of the pricing of the meats and then support some of the farmers, even though they get very little because there is a middleman. But I can't support every farmer, right? Like I live in Texas, so there's so many farmers and it's so easy to support. But when you live in like New York City, like how do you do it there, right? It becomes much more harder, it's it's well, a luckily tough- we got a lot of uh, the beef is now available for mailing mail orders and True. I find that that's really cool because it does enable more of those like farmers that are out in the middle of nowhere to actually get a market yeah like a little bit of both that you bring up a really good point that we need to diversify and really just put a little bit of thought into like what are we buying so sometimes yeah. we'll buy grass fat as sprouts or, you know, sustainable grass fat at Whole Foods. And sometimes we'll get it from our farmers. Sometimes we'll get a butcher box, you know, and have some flexibility with that. So I think, yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. I do think my neighbor farmer probably has better practices because it's the direct source. But, you know, it's just, but at the end of the day, like you said, if we just put most of our money in buying U.S. beef or in, our areas, then we will support our farmers in general. And if we just buy less processed foods, you know, you'll see the shift more to organic or grass finished and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about you have a program for keto weight loss. Um, There's Mm -hmm. been trends of, okay, we just eat high fat and that'll help us lose weight or um, no, let's do only protein and let's, um, that'll help us lose weight. You know, what have you seen work on a ketogenic diet for weight loss? but that will still support your hormones and thyroid and such. Mm -hmm. My program is designed for people. It's kind of like an entry level program. And I also designed it like three years ago when there was not a lot of programs like this around. Um, And it was based on people who have not really done keto and like, but then again, again, it's my program. So you're always going to be a foundation of good eating and healthy eating and everything we talked about is also in there. Right. You know, so it's not just like your dirty keto average, like I'm going to enter into mm-hmm. keto program. It's kind of like a, a cleaner, healthy, health-based keto approach. And through the program, I speak about it a lot. It's like, you know, you need to really address your health in order to address your weight. Yes. And so for me, this is a way, an approach that kind of teaches you how to eat healthy in a ketogenic ratio way to clean up like, that diet and like start transitioning into like keto 
And at the beginning, you know, it's easier to do that with substitutions and eating a little bit more similar and having some like keto baked goods instead of just going cold turkey to like super clean and super straight. Right. So this is what this program is about. And I think that it's also directed to people with metabolic issues, of course, because the ketogenic is designed to reverse metabolic issues like insulin resistance and syndrome X, you know, um, lower inflammation in the body. So the base of weight loss on a program like the Keto Weight Loss Bootcamp is on getting healthier, getting your blood sugar healthier, addressing the insulin resistance, addressing maybe pre-diabetes or diabetes through ketogenic ratios and using as clean as possible foods that will support your health. So in that program, do you share like macros, dietary plans? I mean, is it kind of like a one-stop shop? Um, I actually wanted to create a program without macros because everybody gets so freaking obsessed with the macros. <laughs> and I was already, by the time I created that program, I was already tired of the macros. I've done them for like three years before that. And I was like, I can't stand macros anymore. So no, there are recipes to follow. Mm-hmm. And the recipes are more kind of a hands-on approach of like, what does it look like in my plate? What does it look mm-hmm. like in my kitchen? What does it look like in the recipe to cook keto? And like, what is it that doesn't belong there? What is it that belongs there? And, you know, it's more of an empirical approach than a sure. calculated approach. Okay. So for people that don't feel like dealing with the macros, they just like make the recipes, follow the recipe, eat the recipes, and then eventually it's kind of going to click. I mean, hopefully. It will click like, oh, this is how you eat, you know, and this is, there are three weeks of recipes plus a bonus of like another possible four weeks of meal plan added. Um, so you really get a lot of examples. And I would say learn by doing. Everybody's so busy these days, super overwhelmed with everything, mm-hmm. information overload. So I always try to keep things kind of simple and like, educate but also educate in the practice of doing and it's the same like with my book um and these actually really resonate with my second book that just came out in the second edition which is keto cooking for healing and weight loss and that book is kind of like a little bit more refined recipes than the boot camp because you know it's a nice book and you know there are nice pictures really a little more fancy, but it's the same concept. And in the book, in the introduction, it also really talks about this idea of like health and weight loss being intertwined and how do we restore metabolism and how do we restore metabolic flexibility, you know? So the book and the program are kind of two levels of the same thing or two facets of the same concept. Um, And I still use things like nut flowers or you know fibers because this book is not targeted to people who have severe digestive um you know damage or um, microbiome damage like your book would be or my carnivore book would be so those your book and my other book are also more targeted for people that need to heal through the carnivore diet um the keto book which i used to call keto paleo but now I like to call it a therapeutic ketogenic diet. Um, so that's more for people who are already at a certain base of health sure. and they're more 
like having metabolic issues that um, microbiome issues or autoimmune issues. So it's not necessarily for those kind of people, but, you know, definitely helping heal metabolism, restoring metabolic function, losing weight, and also kind of getting your hormones under control in the process. I think that's really good. I mean, um, your first, your book, your carnivore cookbook, which you also have could be like the first, you know, if you're starting like an elimination diet and then you can, uh, um, move up towards your keto, um, books, open, but, yeah, open your diet back up a little yeah. bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important that you talk about the macros that way. Um, when I first started, I had no calories or macros counting, and uh, people didn't like it. Even my clients would say, no, I need specifics. And then I realized, and it's interesting because we are all so different. Our genetics, are, we even look different, right? There's all these things, but people think I need a certain calorie. I need a certain macro. And this is going to be the answer. And we, we've almost overly used science to a detriment when we are not that simple, right? We don't like, like even like the microbiome, it drives me insane when people are like, this strain does this. And it may have been one study, but it doesn't always do that. Cause I always can prove that certain strains do other things or can be toxic. And we just don't know. Right. And to say that right. we know, and so someone says for sure, we know, like I, um, sell one of the probiotics and I don't sell it because for sure that strain works. No, from my clinical experience, it's helped more people. That's the reason, not because I know that strain is the answer. Like if I did that, then you should run far, right? Because we just don't know for sure. And and then on top of that, all of the studies, it's not 100% sure what they eat too. They just assume they eat like a standard American diet. And it's it's and so I agree with you with the macros. Essentially, people should find their own rhythm. I mean, um, my co-host, Laura, says that a ribeye is different than another ribeye, right? We're eating an animal, so the fat content in each ribeye will differ. Like if you put it in my fitness pal or chronometer, the numbers are different. And then if you take yeah. off the fat, it'll differ, right? So I'm fully with you. Um, I think it's so important to teach people how to fish rather than just give the fish, even though most people want the fish. Um, I really fight for, you need to become a fisherman um, of my clients. And I think you do the same thing. So when you keep showing them different recipes, what you're showing is you have an idea essentially without talking about macros and calories of what your plate should look like. And so you're teaching them how to fish, which is so important. Mm -hmm. And I know people, so many practitioners cater to the, okay, I'll just give you a recipe guide with all the calories, macros to lose weight. I can make people lose weight by making them eat 800 calories right? Not the solution though for long-term healing. Do you follow a higher fat or is it just kind of like based on whole foods? Um, it is higher fat. So it is, the recipes are based on like a 60 to 70% okay. uh, fat, like probably they're kind of like ketogenic ratios, you know, old school, good old yeah. keto ratios. Yeah. Um, and, but I don't use a lot of added fats. Okay. Like, you know, I like to get my fats from the food itself. So yeah, I usually cook in a good amount of fat, mm. but then I don't add fat on top, like piles of fat. Like, you know, some people like, I put a stick of butter on my steak and like, I just eat butter straight from the stick. Um, You don't need to do that. Yeah. You know, like sometimes, or like people that want to 
found the MCT oil because like it helps you burn more fat. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to burn more fat, but you're also like overloading on like empty calories. So it does. And like with the whole MCT diet craze that, by the way, I, I put it on one of my clients and it was kind of a sneaky thing to do because she wanted a quick fix. And I was like, oh yeah, you want a quick fix? Okay, try this. And within two days, she felt so sick. And she was she was doing great. She was feeling great. She was just losing weight very slowly. And then she started doing that MCT, like eating like a bunch of MCT and it made her so sick. And she was like, I think I was doing fine before. And I was like, I know. No, I I have many clients like that. And I've, um, I've seen people in the space where they tried the MCT oil and they didn't feel good. The part that drives me crazy about the whole MCT oil thing was that the, the one part of, you know, so coconuts produce coconut oil. And then of that, they pull out some of the MCTs, which is already not natural. And then of the MCTs, then there's all the different chains, the C12, C10, C8, so the C8 version is a caprylic acid, which we use to do what? We use it to as an antifungal for any gut issues, right? So when people are eating just the C8 version, because I guess in science, it's proven that it's the more, um, you know, weight loss magic one. Mm-hmm. But if you are consuming right. so much of that, you might be killing off your microbiome. Yeah. Right? Like, and- or even imbalancing your microbiome exactly. completely, because like your microbiome will change depending on what you eat. And what's really that, and we didn't even, this was like a whole other conversation, like long one, but like everything we talked about, we talked about from a certain perspective. So we can look at health through the lens of metabolism alone. Mm -hmm. Then we can look at health through the lens of microbiome alone. We can look at the the, um, the whole picture of health through cardiovascular health alone. And those will be a little bit different yes. things that will work for one thing and not for the other. So what's the right thing to do? You know, again, I think that it's really important to keep a wide perspective, a holistic picture. And also for short periods of time, let's say you have a really messed up microbiome. So it is appropriate to look at your health through that lens yes. to fix it. But then once that is okay, again, you need to widen the scope and just kind of look at everything else because your body is not a freaking chest of drawers. Yeah. It's the whole thing that works together. You know, they're not little drawers where like they're all separate, like conventional, you know, Western allopathic model yeah. is a reductionist model and it does not work for long term, not for health sustaining. I'm sorry. I always say with the thyroid, for example, it's part of the entire endocrine system, which we just talked about how like the ovaries gives the hormonal making to the adrenals. Well, if that part is messed up and your body's just trying to focus on fixing that, but the thyroid is part of that whole umbrella, well, the thyroid's going to also get ignored during that time, right? And that's the part. Right. It's, um, yeah, we just need to focus on our body more holistically because- we can hone in on one thing, but then it also then ignores everything else. And our body is a, a lot of everything. Mm-hmm. It's a paradigm shift. And I think it's, you know, we kind of going full circle because we came from holistic as, you know, 
hunter-gatherers and old school like systems of knowledge like herbalism you know like the, the old old stuff and then we came through this new so-called scientific model who has been taken like the the ultimate answer but now we're finally coming around to see the limitations of the so-called scientific model and how is really a reductionist model and yes. you know compartmentalizing our bodies and making us into kind of machines that doesn't work so i feel we're in a really good place where like the two models need to come together yeah and take the wisdom of science and the wisdom of ages and combine them in like a better understanding of what is it to be human and all the different layers of being human in this incredible beautiful magical thing that is our human bodies I agree. I agree completely. And I think just also the clinical um, experience, right? So um, I would never deny that a lot of your belief system is based on your clinical evidence because that's real life, right? You can use all the science. Like I could use everything I approached in my carnivore cure book, but sometimes it doesn't work on my clients, right? And that's when it's like, this is real life. So now try to figure it out. And that's where it gets a lot more challenging. And for some clients, it's like I have to rack my brain so much, but it helps me to learn and understand that there can be other nuances that we've never looked at. And so mm-hmm. I think it's so powerful. And what you're saying is um, I fully agree. Um, as we're wrapping up, you you know, you know, brought up trauma and you brought up that, um, you know, I saw on social media that you're sharing a little bit of your journey. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and why it's so important to, you know, not just focus on, I'm going to dial in my diet so perfectly, but I mean, I've literally had clients going, oh, everyone has stress. And I'm just like, no, we need to focus on stress too. Right. So if you can talk a little bit about that. Sounds like my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I just wanted to share and you know, it was kind of just for me mostly because I, I guess I needed to do that. I was like, wow, what did, why did I, did I do that? Now in retrospect that I shared my life story and, you know, I was like, why did I do that? People, I don't think people were very interested or like too much information. And some people, I got some pushback against it. Like, we don't need to not learn everything about you. But also I got some good feedback and some people just didn't care, whatever. I needed to do it for myself. Right to realize and be accountable to my audience and to other people that this is who I am and I'm going to own every single part of myself. And having gone into really dark places with like my self-worth, you know, who I am, I've been able to deserve the good things in life. And also like that perennial fraud feeling, like who am I to be able to say things? You know, who am I to be able to sit here on the soapbox and preach to all of you, um, those kind of thoughts, you know, and then looking back at my life and seeing all the stuff that I've been through and so many really intense life experiences. I think that for me is the way of like feeling, owning myself and feeling confident about what I have to share, because I know that everything that I know has been pretty hard earned. You know, and I will never share something with people that I haven't experienced or known on my own skin, pretty much. You know, this is the base of my practice and also the base of 
the life wisdom that I acquire and the, you know, everything that talks about the trauma is because like, you know, I, so like I was saying, my mom, like, so I had a conversation with her three days ago and she was like, everybody has that. You grew up with difficulties. You're not special. You know, I'm like, <laughs> mom, I know you did the best you can. I love you. You're awesome. But you can take away from the repercussions of the right. event. You know, you were a single mom at 20 years old fighting to survive with very dysfunctional relationship to your mother, my beloved grandma, and me stuck in the middle as a baby. You know, you can't just expect that I would come out as like, this perfect, beautiful child with no issues at all. You know, it's just cause and effect. There is no blame. Yeah. There is no shame around it. And this is another thing. There is a lot of shame around this thing. And, you know, Brenna Brown wrote a whole book around shame and I love her books. You know, and I just also needed to deal with my own shame about who I am. And again, my right to do what I do. You know, so it's been again about understanding, owning and overcoming through that understanding the ability to overcome you know your experiences um which are what i've been working on for the last three four years really intensely and now i can help other people to have that perspective i am not a trauma therapist but as i coach my patients i can talk to them about it and if we need to send them into like seeing a you know a, a practitioner that specializes in those things at least I can address them right. to and direct them to the right place, you know, to dig deeper and whatever we can dig together, we'll do, you know, but it's been really changing, like really um, changing the quality of my relationship with my clients as well. That's- and I think, yeah, it's, it's good. It makes me happy. And, you know, finally I'm starting to have some answers for myself mm. The green age of 52, you know, you're finally like, oh, now that makes sense. <laughs> no, that's really powerful. Um, many things of what you just said. The fact that you can put a mirror to yourself and then say, am I even worthy of, you know, being a practitioner and having that almost that imposter syndrome that a lot of people talk about when they first start. Um, that brings your modesty and will always push you to strive for more. And it just shows that you're a great practitioner because you're always going to have that modesty and humbleness instead of I have the answers and I can fix you, right? Because you see a lot of that too. So I think that's what will make you always a good practitioner and have that empathy of I'm not perfect, but I can share what I've seen in all my years of experience. And it just shows genuinity, vulnerability, and it's the hope for better, right? And um, And then I think, digging into that trauma area. Um, I studied psychology. That's kind of my background and I love it. I never practiced it though, but I've always been fascinated about the human mind and how we function as individuals. And so when you work with clients that we really don't know, and all we know is what they share, but you can see mannerisms or the way they talk, right? Or the way they bring up things. And it's like, okay, there's something there, right? And then if you've had your own experience with trauma and the work and and diving into that, you can see, oh, there's a little bit of self-worth work that needs to be done, whether they know it or not. And I fully am a fan of that because I see it in my clients, the way they bring up stories or they share. And it's like, okay, 
this girl needs a little bit more therapy, just not because something's wrong with them, but because they don't see the amount of love and greatness they have that I see in them first. And that those are the things that I think is so needed for healing because unknowingly it absolutely affects your adrenal, your adrenals and your cortisol, right? It affects your, if you have a need and you decide, oh, I'll put my husband's first or my children's first and you put yours in the mm-hmm. back seat, your cortisol is going to go up. You know, your adrenals are going to get taxed. Your endocrine system is going to be happy, even if you don't say anything and you seem fine. And those are the things where I think that's why the trauma work is so important. And so, you know, not every, this is another thing about social media is there may be some loud comments um, and likes, but you have a large following and you have to think about how many people's stories do you see that you don't ever comment or like. So then imagine all the people that see your stories that it helps and they just don't say anything. So the one comment may make it seem like, cause I used to always do this, but I used to think, oh, those two comments that are negative, the post is negative, right? But it's just the, you know, there's, I've never commented on random people's. And so it's just, um, I'm sure it's the same. So mm-hmm. I am sure you, you are helping people with your story because I mean, that's why I share my story. Like people like you that share your story, it brings me courage. Well, I should share mine. I don't need to be a picture perfect practitioner, because if you know my story, then you know why I'm here advocating. I mean, you have so much experience and I always turn to you for questions too. So thank you. I think I should turn to you for questions that might happen in the future. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Where can um, people find you? You know, I know you have multiple books and programs. You have so much good content out there and recipes and stuff. So, um, and I'll put everything in your show in the show notes. Okay. So in the nutshell, um, so the program we talked about is the keto weight loss bootcamp. Um, I think it's keto weight loss bootcamp.com. There is such a thing. Oh my God. I haven't looked at it for months. I'll put it in the show notes specifically. So it's okay. okay. We'll find a link for that. Um, and then there is the nourishcaveman.com, which has been my blog for the last six or seven years. And it has a ton of information. There are interviews that are like all kinds of like videos on there. I mean, it'll take you a year to go through it. And my latest endeavor is journey to wholeness.love. So it's journey number two, wholeness.love. And this is kind of like a little bit where I'm going and if anybody is interested in working with me, there is the services page on that website, journeys to wholeness.love slash uh, forward slash services. So that's where you can actually see my offerings and how to work together. And then, um, yeah, like just um, find out a little bit more of like my mentality and what I do and the different approaches and like, you know, all the way from weight loss to mentorship. Like, you know, there is a span for everybody wherever they feel comfortable in working. And don't forget, I like to go deep with people. Root cause healing isn't easy. It's not a quick fix, but it can happen. And for people like you that are practitioners that actually help one-on-one, there's so many people that don't do one-on-one. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's hard even for me. So I, you know, I, um, I think it's so important that you do what you do. So, um, I, I hope that people will check you out. And um, again, I'll put it all in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yes, I love our conversation. And thank you for all the work that you do. That's also so important. And like doing the science part, like 
awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, and you know, I think we're going to do a um, book giveaway soon too. So you guys uh, make sure to check out our, I think it's going to be on our Instagram, maybe our Facebook pages as well, but (laughs) we'll put the details in the show notes, but thank you so much for watching and thank you Vivica again. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Okay guys. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope it really shows you that diet, carbs, fats, macros, proteins, how much to eat, when to eat, um, all of that is really dependent on your own bio-individual body. I know that's frustrating to hear, but it's really the key to get to wellness and get to healing for your own individual body. I hope that this episode helps you get one step closer to root cause healing. Okay, guys, make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.